the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. What if you could spot opportunity and have the courage and discipline to take action? What if the secret to enriching your life is simply knowing how to push yourself? According to today's guest, Mel Robbins, it takes just five seconds to change your life. Mel is the creator of the five-second rule, an approach to life that she says can help you live, love, work, and speak with greater confidence and courage every day. Mel is a best-selling author, a social media influencer, and a sought-after motivational speaker. She is the author of The Five-Second Rule, Transform Your Life, Work, and Confidence with Everyday Courage. Welcome, Mel. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Joan. So, Mel, you're the creator of The Five-Second Rule, and this approach to life was the result of you experiencing some major challenges in your life. What was happening to you when you came up with this idea? Okay, Um, I'm going to tell you the story, but first I want to talk to everybody listening. I want you to pay attention to this conversation, and I want you to listen like your life depends upon it, because it does. I can tell you, not because what I'm about to share with you has changed my life, but I have the conviction in my voice because it is changing the lives of people around the world. It is being used by veterans organizations to treat PTSD. If you struggle with anxiety or your kids do, this is a conversation that I want you to pay close attention to. And I also want to talk to the cynics. I'm a very analytical and cynical person. And when you first hear what I'm about to share with you, that you can change your life in five seconds using this simple mind trick, you're going to think it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Mm -hmm. Do not dismiss the profound nature of what Joan and I are about to talk about just because the idea is simple. Everything that we are about to share with you, it is free, it is backed by science, and it works for every person who tries it. And so to answer your question, Joan, I invented the five-second rule by mistake when I was struggling to get out of bed. And I was struggling to get out of bed because my husband and I were on the verge of bankruptcy. We were on the verge of divorce. Um, His failing restaurant business and my unemployment was taking our sanity, our marriage, like the whole thing down the drain with it. And I was simply struggling to do the smallest things like get up on time, not drink so much, exercise, be kind, look for a job. And um, one night I invented something that helped me make all the changes and I call it the five second rule. So why do you believe then, Mel, that we can change our life in five seconds? The reason why um, I believe that you can change your life in five seconds is because we live our lives inside a gap, Joan, and it's a gap that nobody's talking about. It's a gap between what's happening to you and your reaction to it. And that gap is about five seconds long. And most of us go through our days and things are happening all around us whether it's things that our bosses say to us or bad news that we're getting or health diagnosis or the way that somebody's treating us or maybe how you feel when you're looking at social media. And so all day long, things are happening that are outside of your control and you get triggered by it. And within five seconds flat, you start reacting to it. 
And those reactions are typically reactions that are not aligned with your values. They're not aligned with the outcome that, they, that you want. That when you're not paying attention, you make decisions like I was making decisions 10 years ago. Decisions based in procrastination, based in anxiety, based in frustration, based in overwhelm, based in depression. And then you wonder, well, why can I never seem to change? Why can't I make the money that I want to make? Why am I not happier? Why can't I lose the weight? And see, the reason why we can't is because knowing what you need to do, like getting up on time or not drinking so much, that's the easy part. The real challenge in life and the secret in life to getting anything that you've ever wanted to being happier, to be more present, to reach your health goals, to make more money, the secret is knowing how. How do you make yourself do the things that are irritating, that are scary, that are difficult, or that are hard. And how do you do it when you don't feel like it? Because I'll tell you what, Joan, every single morning, that alarm would go off. And I knew I should get up. And then that gap would open up. And it was almost like somebody had opened up a window and cold air would blow in. And what was blowing in was self-doubt and overwhelm and anxiety. And I'd lie there in bed like so many of you listening. Lie in bed morning and you think about your problems. And next thing you know, I'm reaching over and hitting the snooze button, even though I knew I needed to get up. And see, there's literally always going to be an excuse, always going to be an excuse inside that five second gap that I'm talking about between knowing what to do and Mm -hmm. letting the excuses flood into your mind and stop you. So what happened for me, and this is just dumb luck, is that one night I was sitting in my living room and I was watching television and I was having one of those pep talks that we all have with ourselves. Mm -hmm. All right. Tomorrow, Joan, tomorrow I'm waking up on time. Tomorrow I'm going to make those cold calls. And then all of a sudden I looked at the television and there was a commercial and a rocket ship was flying across the stream. And I had this crazy idea. And this was the idea. What if I just launched myself out of bed in the morning like that rocket? What if I moved so fast, Joan, that my feet hit the floor before self-doubt hit my brain? Maybe if I just moved first, maybe I could beat all the things that were stopping me in my head. And so, look, I had had four Manhattans that night, so maybe it was the booze that gave me that idea because it sounds <laughs> kind of dumb when you hear it, right? right? For whatever reason, I'll never forget it, Joan. It was a Tuesday in February. That alarm went off, and nothing had changed in my life. I mean, we were still a week away from a bankruptcy proceeding. My husband of 22 years was sleeping on the couch. I was hungover. I was unemployed. I had no confidence, and that alarm went off, and I, I remembered. I said, I, I remembered. I got to get up, and then I could feel that gap open. And I could feel the excuses rolling in. And I could feel myself even thinking, well, what difference is it going to make? And then I did something I'd never done before. I started counting like NASA does to launch a rocket backwards. And I went five, four, three, two, one. And by the time I hit one, my feet were on the floor. And, you know, I was really startled. I was like, what? Five, four, three, two. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I went on with my day. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, the alarm went off. And I knew I should get up. And then that gap opened up, that five-second gap that we all struggle with. And I started to think. And the excuses started to roll in. And then I went five, four, three, two, one, and I'm up again. And so then I decided, well, maybe I should test this thing. And so I said, in any situation where I know what I should do, but I just don't feel like it, I don't want to. Let's count backwards and let's see what happens. So I walked into the kitchen. And you know that thing that happens with the people that you love where you see them and you just want to kill them? You know, mm-hmm. that happens. <laughs> well, you know, my husband, my poor husband's standing there and, you know, I just want to kill him because we're facing, you know, the restaurants have been disastrous. We're fighting like crazy. And it's so much easier to blame other people in your life, isn't it? Right. You know, to point the finger, it's your fault to get upset with them. The truth is, and I didn't know this at the time, sure, I had read it in an inspirational quote or in somebody's book, but I didn't like know it in my body. The power's in you. You can't change other people and it's not other people's fault. The power is in you always. And the responsibility is in you. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what abuse you've suffered at the hands of other people, no matter what problems you're facing, the power is in you and the responsibility to heal yourself is in you. So I see my husband and I'm triggered. You know, I'm like about to yell at him and I go five, four, three, two, one. Because the truth is, I didn't want to get divorced. I loved this man and I still love this man more than anybody on the planet. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And so I was triggered all day long. And so counting backwards, suddenly I've got the self-monitoring and the self-awareness to actually behave in a way that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I see the phone. I know I need a job, but who likes to network? Five, four, three, two, one. 
and I'm picking up the phone and calling. And I'll be darned if counting backwards five, four, three, two, one, and having this simple little tool didn't change everything in my life because it changed how I was making decisions and it gave me a tool, a tool that I could use to change the habits that I had, whether the habit was anxiety or the habit was procrastination or the habit was not going to the gym, I had the ability to close the gap. And so suddenly I was in control, probably for the first time in my entire life. And I never, and look, I, I never intended to tell anybody about this, John. Right. I mean, first of all, it sounds really dumb. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I didn't know why it worked. You said that it's based in science. What is it that happens yes, it in is. the brain when we implement this approach? Why does the act actually help you override bad patterns in your mind and create positive new habits, whether they're thinking habits or behavior habits? What's actually happening is the um, countdown method is a form of metacognition. It's also classified, since I know everybody listening is into this kind of stuff, if you're into habit research or if you're into neuroplasticity, you may have heard the term starting ritual. The starting ritual is um, a tool that triggers a different response in your brain to something that normally, you know, had a bad response. And so what happens is when you count backwards, what you're doing inside of the habit loops that get encoded in your basal ganglia is you are interrupting them and you're overriding the, the pattern that sabotages you and you are drawing your focus to your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex, of course, is the part of the brain that's active on a functional MRI when you're learning new behavior, when you're acting with courage, when you're doing strategic thinking, when you are um, attacking your goals. And so basically, one night when I was drunk facing the worst moments of my life, I invented the most powerful cheat code that you can possibly have for your brain. And now it's saving lives around the world. I mean, we heard from somebody two days ago, Joan who used the five-second rule in Idaho to stop herself from wading into a river and killing herself after her 19-year-old overdosed. She's the 44th person that we know of that has used the five-second rule to stop themselves from harming themselves and then use it again to ask for help. And so we hear from veterans around the world that it is an extraordinarily effective tool to be using to treat uh, post-traumatic stress disorder because the treatment is about response to triggers. And so if you can use the five-second rule to interrupt your automated response to triggers, it gives you the chance to reprogram your mind with new responses and to regain that sense of control. I've used the five-second rule to cure myself of a 22-year battle with anxiety. I took Zoloft for two decades. Um, and when people started to write to us, I started to wonder, you know, I wonder if I could personally use this to override the way that my mind operates. And so I started by attacking my habit of worrying. And what I noticed once I overrided the habit of worrying and learned how to redirect my thoughts and activate my prefrontal cortex and drop in an anchor thought, um, I was stabilizing my body. And once I learned how to do that, wow, I went off the meds. And do you know, Joan, I have not had a panic attack, a bout of anxiety. Hell, I don't even worry about anything Mm because I actually know that you can control a thousand percent what you think about. You can't control what's happening around you, but you can always choose what you think and what you do next in response to it. And it is absolutely life changing and it's free (laughs) <laughs> now, what you're sharing with us, the stories that you're sharing, it's they're so powerful. How do you feel when people write to you and they give you these type of testimonials? I feel like God selected me to share something with the world. And the conviction that I have in my voice is due to these stories. And so I feel completely blessed. And, you know, the other thing is, is that I don't view myself as an expert. Like I, I've seen the list of people that you've had on your show and you've got people on that are experts. I feel like I'm the kind of person that really screwed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am not proud of the person that I was for the first 40 some years of my life. And I have figured out through luck, through sweat, through tears, through curiosity, some very simple tools that have insanely powerful results. And my gift is that I can take very complicated topics and I can make them very simple 
and I can make them very entertaining. And so my philosophy and the reason why the content is is helping people is because I'm on a mission to bubble up these tools that can actually help you change and get control of your life. And there's so much noise out there and there's so many people talking about it, but there's very few people that talk about how. And that's what we all need to know. You know, we can read all the inspirational quotes you want on Instagram, but at the end of the day, you got to know how. Mm -hmm. How to change when you're alone. How to change when you don't believe in yourself. How to change when you don't feel like doing it. And that's where the heart of all my work is at. And, And by the way, it's what everybody struggles with. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how educated or uneducated you are. I don't care if your family's broken, if it's together. Every single one of us lives inside that gap between what's happening and how we respond. And when you realize that you can control how you respond, your life will change. The book is The Five-Second Rule, Transform Your Life, Work, and Confidence with Everyday Courage. If you'd like to get more information about Mel and her work, you can visit melrobbins.com. Mel, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Five, four, three, two, one. (laughs) You have the answers. You do. You know what to do. You know what to do. That's not the problem. The next time your instincts rise up, you're sitting in a meeting at work and there's something you want to say. Five, four, three, two, one and say it. That hard conversation that you're avoiding, 54321, pick up the phone. The fact that you're trying not to drink during the week, 54321, put down the damn bourbon and walk away from it. The fact that you need to get to the gym, 54321, and go. Literally, I want you to understand that you are one decision away from a totally different life. Mel, thank you so much for being here with us and for sharing your story and strategies that can help us make lasting change. As you said, living the life we want is as simple as 54321. So thank you for being here. Thank you. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NARUKA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUKA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP 
the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800-850-5110. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss how to stop reacting to every situation or feeling. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, when we feel uncomfortable about a situation or a relationship, we immediately try to fix it. And I know this is something that I do. And when we do that, we often end up overreacting to what's happening. And then we have a mess to clean up. So why is it so difficult for most of us to give situations space or to wait before we react so quickly? Well, the biggest reason is we don't like to feel uncomfortable. Things happen in life that are unexpected. Things happen that cause us pain. And our first thought is, how do I get rid of this feeling? How do I make it go away? And so sometimes we think in order to make it go away, we're going to react to that, that somebody in our relationship. We're going to make a quick business decision. We're going to do everything we can to avoid that uncomfortable feeling. But unfortunately, sometimes when we don't wait we don't always make the right decision because sometimes our relationship needed some time. Sometimes we need to think a little bit more. We need to be more in touch with our feelings. Sometimes a business decision is not clear and it's better to wait. Sometimes we need to invest money. Sometimes we need to close things down. Sometimes we just need time to figure things out, but we, we can't handle the feeling that we're having. So instead of waiting, we jump. And a lot of people have this problem, and I even have this problem. Sometimes all I want to do is fix things to make things better, but not everything can be fixed in this moment. And I was actually reading this book by Byron Katie, who does a lot of work regarding loving what is, and she describes this scene where she's on this couch and an ant is crawling up her leg. And as this ant is crawling up her leg, she sits so still, and she describes the ant crawling and the ant biting her. And as I was reading this, I actually had such an epiphany because I realized that for me and for a lot of people, if an ant will crawl on my leg, I'll feel uncomfortable. And the first thing I'll do is I'll slap the ant off, I'll scream, I'll get, un- I'll get uptight because I realize that I have a feeling that I'm not used to. And although letting an ant crawl up my leg or not crawl up my leg doesn't change my life, it did give me this realization that if I did let it crawl up my leg, nothing would happen. We forget that just because we feel uncomfortable, sometimes it doesn't matter. We survived the pain. We survived the suffering. So the next day I was at a meeting and this fellow across the table was speaking and he was saying things that I didn't like. And I felt like I was feeling uncomfortable and I felt like I wanted to interrupt him. But I remembered that sensation of thinking about an ant crawling up my leg and I waited and I waited. And as he spoke and I waited, I realized what he said didn't matter. This fellow had no power. He had no voting power at the table. And at the end, someone else jumped in and took care of the situation for me. And it was so interesting to see that because I waited, I didn't react. I didn't say the wrong thing. And actually, someone else took care of it for me. And sometimes when we wait, other people aren't going to take care of things for us, but we could take care of things for ourselves because we're going to have clarity of mind because we gave ourselves the time. So if we could wait and we could be more thoughtful and we could know that pain and discomfort don't lead us to bad places, then we're going to have more space to make better decisions because we have to remember that feelings come and go. And so we don't even know if what we're feeling is true. We don't know if it's just an emotion that's going to go away. So when we're less reactive and more responsive because we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, our businesses are going to grow, our relationships are going to be better, and we're going to find more of the right opportunities and make less mistakes and and take less wrong action in the days to come. 
Allison, I know you always like to leave us with a strategy or an exercise. So how can we learn to sit with being uncomfortable? Well, the first thing is awareness. Just like I did at that meeting, although not everybody is going to, uh, you know, think about an ant crawling up their leg. But when we're uncomfortable, we need to recognize it. We need to, to feel ourselves and say, wait a second, I'm uncomfortable. And that's why I feel like I need to react. Not that I know the answer. I know what I need to do. Because there's a big difference between feeling uncomfortable and feeling you know the right action to take. So if we create this awareness and we know the difference between our wisdom and our fear, feeling uncomfortable and feeling like we know the right answer, when we start to kind of understand ourselves better, when we feel uncomfortable, we're going to pause. And then we're going to start asking ourselves questions. Because when we feel uncomfortable and we don't give ourselves space, often all we're doing is exchanging one problem for another. But if we give ourselves the space, we can say, how will my reaction in this moment serve me? Is there a better response? Do I really want to lose this relationship? Do I really want to break up with this person? Is it them? Is it me? If I do this, what will be the result? Sometimes what happens, we're so busy trying to fix it, we don't really think where our actions will lead. So our acceptance of being uncomfortable, all it really does is it gets rid of the fear and it gives us the space to be more responsive and more thoughtful. And when we do this, we're going to achieve more in our lives because we will just make better decisions. We'll be kinder to the people around us. We will have stronger relationships because we are giving things space to come and we're giving things space to go. And it's just going to be a different way to live, a better way to live. So I know that having an ant crawling up your leg might not be the, the symbol, the analogy for people, but people know when they feel uncomfortable and it's just a practice. And allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable will give us more faith and will give us more strength, and I'll give us more opening to always live our best life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim, or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience, while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. 
Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Most of us have encountered aggressive people and difficult confrontations. When faced with anger, we tend to react emotionally, either withdrawing or responding with matched aggression. Today's guest, Douglas Knoll, believes that neither approach brings peace and understanding. He's here to explain how to successfully and efficiently calm an angry person or defuse a situation. Doug is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker who specializes in difficult conflicts. He's the author of De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Welcome, Doug. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Great to be here. So, Doug, no one is immune to being part of a difficult situation. We've all encountered that one person who really knows how to push our buttons. So what do you believe? <laughs> right. It's true. And, you know, I actually did the other night at a meeting. I wish I had read the book before that night. So <laughs> what do you believe are the biggest mistakes we make when dealing with an angry person? The first biggest mistake we make is that we listen to their words. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to their words, because that's what we're trying to do from the time we're small children, their words trigger us. We become immediately reactive uh, and either defensive or aggressive, as you said, ourselves. And now we're sucked into the conflict vortex and we have no ability or let me let me just say very limited ability to get ourselves out. And we have to recognize that when people are emotional, when they're when they're very angry and insulting and disrespectful, the thinking part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex is completely shut down. They are they're operating on programming that was programmed into them when they were children and they are being completely reactive. And so we have to have a different approach if we want to successfully get them calmed down to solve whatever the underlying problem is. And that's what I've been able to develop uh, over the past 15 years in my in my mediation practice and in my prison project. So, and that's the secret. The secret is learning not to listen to the words. And you know, Doug, what some people, they may do what what I tend to do is I, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to argue. I tend to just withdraw, ignore, and yes. avoid. And so that's not a good practice either. No, well, conflict avoidance is a very common tactic that people unconsciously adopt. And sometimes avoidance is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. But avoiding conflict in all cases is disempowering because that's how bullies basically get their way. Or people, that's how disrespectful people get their way. And and that's not right or just or fair, Uh, nor is it moral, nor is it nor is it polite. So we have to be able to have the skills that when we decide that we have to really calm somebody down to get to a problem. We have to have that skill set. So so conflict avoidance is a tool. Aggression is a tool. Violence is a tool. And de-escalation is a tool. And which tool you want to use in any given moment is going to be determined by context and, and the situation and your own, your own particular um, needs in that moment. So just recognize that these are all tools. And the more tools we have in our box, the better equipped we are to deal with these very difficult situations particularly angry, disrespectful, and insulting people. So, Doug, let's talk about your process. What are the three essential steps? Step number one, ignore the words. We've been trained from the time we started speaking, and even before then, to listen to the words because we're taught that the words have meaning. But in this situation, for this 90 seconds, those words mean nothing. So ignore them. 
because if you listen to the words, they're going to trigger you and you're going to get in trouble. So just ignore the words completely. Okay. Step number two, pay attention to the emotional experience of the speaker. And that means that you're going to be looking for all the emotions that are there. Because typically when somebody is enraged or angry or insulting, there is more than one emotion. Emotions come in complexes. They come in patterns and groups. There's never just anger, for example. So you're going to be looking for anger. You're going to be looking for somebody feeling disrespected. You're going to look, be looking for sadness, fear, anxiety, grief, shame, guilt, um, and then way down low, deep, 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 uh, a sense of being unloved and abandoned. And all these things are all happening all at once, but it's all being presented, let's say, through an intense emotion such as anger. So you're going to guess at the emotions. And then the last step, which is the counterintuitive part of all of this, and this is the part that it's easy to say, hard to get, is that we're going to reflect back the emotions we're guessing at. We're going to reflect them back to the speaker using a very simple use statement. So I would say, hey, Joan, you're really angry right now. You're really frustrated. You feel completely disrespected and unsupported. Um, you feel like you've been treated really unfairly and uh, you're a little bit anxious about what's going to happen and you have a lot of sadness and grief that you seem to be all alone in the world. So by doing that, mm -hmm. you're basically acknowledging that you're understanding how the other person's feeling. You're not battling exactly. them, you're validating them. Exactly correct. And what, the, what brain science shows us, especially through a 2007 study by Matthew Lieberman at UCLA, is that when people get very emotional, their prefrontal cortex shuts down. When we label back their emotions to them, we, we, we give them back their emotions, reflect them back in these very simple use statements, we're literally lending them our prefrontal cortex so that they can process the emotional experience. And what the scanning studies show is that when we do this, the emotional centers of the brain immediately quiet down. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. It's, and it works every single time because that's we're hard. Our brains are hardwired for this, so that's why this 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 skill is so powerful and and so effective because it's working with the brain, not against the brain. It's working with how the brain is hardwired to receive information in this moment. Extremely powerful. So, Doug, we ignore the words, we guess at the emotions, and we reflect the emotions back. What happens next? So. It depends. Two things can happen. Well, two, a couple of things can happen. First, if if you are successful the first time through, in other words, the person, whatever it is, you're successful and you de-escalate, you're going to see four unconscious reactions. Again, this is outside of consciousness. People don't even know they do it. One, they're going to nod their head affirmatively up and down. Two, they're going to give some kind of verbal response like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. I might <laughs> even shout it out, right? Okay. Okay. Three, th there's going to be a dropping of the shoulders. And four, there's going to be, uh, be a big sigh of relief. And they won't even know they're doing it. You're watching for those four unconscious reactions. When you hit those reactions, you know that you're getting them de-escalated. If they persist in yelling and screaming and doing whatever they want, you just stay with them. Follow them like a horse and just keep reflecting back the emotions. And you may have to reflect back the same emotion over and over again. You're really angry. You're really frustrated. Man, you are really enraged. Man, you are really hot and angry. You just have to keep with them. And eventually it will penetrate. Now, after 90 seconds, if you're not getting anywhere, this is not the time. <laughs> Back off and say, hey, you, you know, you need let, let's let's just take a pause and and take a walk and take a deep breath and hopefully and then come at it again in five or 10 or 15 minutes. But typically you can deescalate somebody in 30 to 45 seconds. And there are other situations that happen. For example, people block. So you we've all had situations where a person has just told us the same. They tell us a story. They're really emotional about it. They get to the end and then rewind and tell us this, you know, exactly the same words and do it all again. That's called blocking. Mm -hmm. Typically, that means we haven't touched the, uh, deep enough in the emotions. And that's when we're going to get into sadness and grief and being unloved and feeling abandoned and that sort of thing. Um, so it just means you've got to go deeper. So there's a lot that has to go on in a short period of time. You need to try to understand what's going on with the other person and remove your ego from the equation. That's right. Well, it happens automatically. That, that is removing the ego. And that's a really cool thing that happens. The benefits of the speaker is that you get them calmed down. But there are huge benefits to you as the listener. The first is that you're completely empowered. And when you're focusing on their emotions, there's no room in your existence to get triggered by their words. So you feel completely empowered, centered, in control. You feel no anxiety. I mean, it's amazing how quiet you stay inside yourself in, in the face of this hurricane of words that are coming at you. The second thing that happens, which is even more remarkable, is that for the time that you're actually reflecting back the emotions, your ego dissolves. 
and you experience this transcendental oneness with the other person. It's the, it's the most bizarre experience, and it lasts for about 15 or 20 seconds, but it happens every single time. So the practice almost becomes a spiritual practice mm-hmm. in that your, your ego is dissolving, and all of a sudden you, just, you feel like you know, you're just this being out there doing this stuff, and there's no ego involvement at all. It's, it's a very cool experience, and it's very unique to, to this kind of a skill use. It's very powerful. Now, Doug, parents deal with these types of situations on a regular basis. Does this All work with children? It not only works with children, it's essential to use it with children. And the reason that it's essential is because from about 18 months of, of after birth until about four years old, the emotional centers of a child's brain are maturing. The child has to go through a whole range of emotional experiences in order for the brain to understand how to link up the affect that's occurring inside the brain. That's what we call the actual physiological neurons firing in the brain feeling what's going on in the physical body and then how we how we make sense of that which is what we call emotion the labels we give such as anger and rage a child has to learn all this stuff and build a database of emotions if we tell a two-year-old boy for example don't be a sissy grow up don't cry what are we telling that little boy about emotions we're not allowing him to build a database of emotions that's going to allow him to be a healthy functioning young man and at 15 years old when he starts getting arrested in girls there's a train wreck going to happen so what we should be doing is when a when a when a child has a tantrum for example rather than yelling at the kid and telling him to shut up we should be saying you're really angry you're really frustrated you're not getting what you want you just feel really thwarted and nobody's supporting you and you don't feel loved stuff like that Right. The kid right. will quiet down in about 30 seconds, say, yeah, and now you can problem solve. Now you can say, okay, let's sort through what the problem is, appropriate to the age, of course. It's brilliant with children, and I submit that if parents did this with their kids, they would be teaching children emotional intelligence at a very young age, and their kids are going to be so much happier by the time they get to school age. It's amazing. And I think, Doug, you know, a lot of the problem with communication is, People just don't listen to each other. We're so worried about the next thing that we're going to say (laughs) that we don't even know what the other person is trying to convey to us. And so this is brilliant because it forces you to become an active listener and a participant in a dialogue with another person. That's correct. We, we talk about, I, as I teach this, I talk about you, uh, the tracks. There, you, you have your own track, and the other person, the speaker, has his or her own track. When you are doing this kind of listing, you are going to stay on that speaker's track. You're never going to lift that train off and put it onto your track. So it's very different from conversation. And the rules are different. The rules of listening are different than the rules for conversation. If I'm truly listening to you, I can interject all the times, whatever emotional experience you're having, Joan, and I can say, you're really frustrated right now. You're really angry or, wow, you're really scared. And I can interrupt. If it were conversation, you would think I was being very rude and impertinent and patronizing. But when I'm listening to you with emotions, you experience a very deep empathic connection with me. And, and as I say, you experience being listened into existence. The book is De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less by Douglas Knoll. If you would like to get more information about the book or Doug and his work, you can visit DougKnoll.com. That's N-O-L-L, DougKnoll.com. Doug, thank you so much for being here with us. As I said, I wish I had read this book before I was in a meeting the other evening, but I'm really (laughs) glad that I have now because, you know, you've given me tools that that can change my life and so many others. And I hope everyone will get a copy of the book, Deescalate. It really will make an impact on your relationship. So thank you. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for having me on the show. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people organize their lives as well as their homes. Many of our clients have ADHD or other brain-based challenges and are always looking for the perfect organizing solution, and that includes electronic apps. Here are a few helpful tips to help you choose the right organizing apps for you. One, keep it simple. First, try using the apps that come with your electronic device. They may be all you need. Download additional apps that support only what you really need to do, like financial management or travel planning. Two, when you do need an app, do a quick search. Try not to get bogged down in the abundance of choices or get distracted by shiny object syndrome. 
three, set criteria for which apps to consider. The whole idea of an app is to simplify your life. Is it fun and easy to use? Does it appeal to multiple senses? Four, download one that looks good and use it for a while. If you get bored, try another one. Don't get discouraged and think you failed because your first choice didn't work out. Now you know what doesn't work for you and you can find something that does. Remember that the best app is one you'll actually use. For more organizing ideas that fit your life, call me. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. today to talk about chronic kidney disease is Dr. Deborah Clegg, who is affiliated with Cedars-Sinai UCLA and American University. Dr. Clegg is the lead study investigator on plant-based diets in people with chronic kidney disease. Welcome, Dr. Clegg. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Doctor, with so many diets and eating plans that are available today, it's difficult to know which is the best to follow for maximum health. But for those with chronic kidney disease, making the right diet choice is critical. Before we talk about that, first tell us about chronic kidney disease. What is it? So chronic kidney disease is basically a a gradual loss of kidney function. Your kidneys are responsible for maintaining normal balance within our body. And as the kidneys lose their function, toxins can stay in the body. And this is associated with some different types of disease risks. Who is most at risk? People who have high blood pressure or people who have diabetes or cardiovascular disease are individuals who those types of diseases can actually impact the kidneys and cause the kidney function to decrease. Doctor, what are the signs and symptoms? How does chronic kidney disease usually present? So chronic kidney disease often presents with some nausea or vomiting, maybe some changes in appetite, or maybe even changes in urination. Oftentimes, these are associated with kidneys who are no longer functioning properly by getting rid of some of the toxins that are so critical for the kidneys to normally function or release our body from. Why are potassium levels so critical for those who live with chronic kidney disease? What's interesting is that potassium is this incredible nutrient that we need to have in our diet. It comes from fruits and vegetables, but when potassium gets too high in our blood, it's a condition called hyperkalemia. And one of the interesting things is that the kidneys are responsible for maintaining potassium balance. And so one of the benefits of eating a fresh fruit and vegetable diet is that it's actually high in potassium. However, as your kidneys start to lose their function, avoiding potassium can be really important to avoid the uh, potential deleterious effects of hyperkalemia. Doctor, is there anything that we can do to prevent kidney disease? Well, some of the things that we can do is make sure that our blood pressure is well controlled, avoid some of the salt within our diet, so we're avoiding some of the, the hypertension, also maintaining our normal blood sugar by avoiding diabetes, and also keeping our overall cardiovascular uh, function in check. Also, eating a fresh fruit and vegetable diet actually can protect the kidneys. 
what types of tests should our doctor be doing to make sure that our kidneys are functioning properly? Your doctor will make sure that your kidneys are functioning properly by taking blood tests as well as monitoring your urine for different types of, of products. So keeping in close contact with your physician, if you happen to be an individual that has hypertension, diabetes, or cardiovascular disease, or even family history of chronic kidney disease, it's really important to keep in touch with your physician so they can monitor your potassium or that your, they can monitor your kidney function. If someone is diagnosed with a kidney issue, what would the normal treatment process be? What can that person expect? Typically what happens as your kidneys continue to, to decrease their function or when you have CKD is oftentimes physicians will prescribe medications such as uh, blood pressure stabilizing medications, um, other types of medications to keep your blood sugar in check. Uh, typically they, they typically focus on blood pressure as well as blood sugar maintenance and, and preserving the remaining kidney function. Once we're diagnosed and we're put on medications, is there ever a chance that it can be reversed or are we on those meds for the rest of our life? Oftentimes you're on those medications for for some period of time, but it's not a life sentence because keeping preservation of your kidney function is really what's at stake here. So what we're hoping is that your newer products that are available on the market will actually preserve kidney function as well as allow people to eat a really healthy diet. What are some of those newer products? Right, so there's a couple of newer products that are actually considered to be binders. What they do is they sort of take over the kidney function. So when you're eating a diet that's high in potassium, and the normal function of the kidney is to get rid of that potassium, but as the kidney continues to fail, therefore the kidney no longer has the ability to get rid of that potassium. But these newer binders actually bind to the dietary potassium and help you achieve normal potassium homeostasis within your body. It's a really amazing time for individuals with CKD to be able to potentially try these new products and see if they can liberalize their diet. And where can our listeners go to get more information? The Kidney Foundation has some wonderful information about kidney disease, and you can find that information at kidney.org. Thank you so much for joining us and for providing this important information. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember, the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.